So we're going to start with a true or false statement. The church today is not great about giving. The church today is not great about giving. So writes Mike Holmes in his 2016 article, What would happen if the church tithed? He notes that Christians today give about 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression they gave with much less. They gave 3.3% of their income. Ron Sider, in an article called A Lot of Lattes, said that 20% of American Christians give 86.8% of the total given to churches. What would happen if believers in America increased their giving to 10%? The answer is, there would at least be $168 billion more than is the current giving each year. One other writer estimates 300 billion more each year. Now, uh, here's what could happen, one writer suggests. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, deaths from preventable diseases in the next five years. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in the next five years. $15 billion would solve the water and sanitation issues. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. What do you think about that? And that would leave an estimated $100 to $110 billion left over, just in case some of those are too high, or they're not high enough. Some of the expenditures are higher than estimated. What would you do with the 100 to 110 billion dollars? In 2019, an article entitled Five Things That Could Happen If the Church Tithed suggests that in the United States, 1.8 billion dollars could be used to add church campuses related to prison ministries in 1,800 prisons. 1.1 billion dollars could be used for 5500 new facility counseling center family counseling centers 500 million dollars which is a small amount 500 million to provide debt and financial management training 10 billion dollars to help people in financial crisis 15 billion dollars provide support and housing for the homeless in America billion to eliminate financial burden of adopting kids from foster care because it costs $14,000 a year to have kids in foster care. $10 billion for additional ministries. $1 billion to train 20,000 new pastors. And you'd still have $56 to $66 billion left over to advance the kingdom. So, we're going to look at kind of an overall survey of what the scriptures have to say about this subject of giving. And, you know, we've talked about 
the last several weeks, we've talked about giving. We've talked about it from different perspectives. We've used different verses. But I, I want to kind of give the bigger picture now. So first of all, consider the pattern of giving from the earliest history of God's people that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, what is God's pattern of giving from the earliest of history? And uh, so first of all, giving 10% was Abraham's practice. Now Abraham goes back to about 2,200 years before the birth of Christ. Um, Abraham is the father of faith. He was considered the father of the nation Israel. His son was Isaac, and then his grandson was Jacob. And out of Jacob, who was also renamed Israel, came the 12 tribes and the families of Israel. Okay? That's, this is, uh, and Abraham was the first one to receive the promises of God. And that was his practice. And we see this in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. So then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. Now this is really early in the history of God's people. We don't know much about Melchizedek, but he was a priest. He was a worshiper. He was a mediator for God and people. He was the king of Salem, which would have been the location of Jerusalem in that area. And so this is way before the law. The law is not going to come for seven or 800 more years, the law of Moses. So Moses doesn't exist yet. This is early. And we don't have a lot of laws or rules communicated yet in the Bible. And so he was a priest of the God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram. And now, Abram was Abraham's name. God will change his name later to Abraham. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to our God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then notice, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So, this doesn't tell us a whole lot. Abram's just come into some wealth, and uh, due to a complicated story, and he's blessed by this priest of the God Most High, and Abraham, in honor of God and honor of this minister, gives him a tenth of his proceeds. Now, this is so significant that the writer of Hebrews uh, mentions this and how significant this is in Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, just think how great he was. He's referring to Melchizedek, okay? Because he's going to, he's really, in the, in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything in the Old Testament, over the priesthood, over the high priest, over everyone. And so he says, just think how great he, Melchizedek, was. Even the patriarch Abram, Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who became priests to collect the tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from 
Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, what's this about? Well, the writer of Hebrews is going to be showing how great Jesus is because during this period in the first century, so this is in the late 60s AD when this book is written, the writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, he wants to show how great Jesus is, and he's going to show that Jesus has a similarity to Melchizedek, or Melchizedek really has a similarity to Jesus, and Melchizedek is much greater than everybody else in the Old Testament as far as Israel, as far as the priesthood of Israel, the high priest in Israel. Because here's the deal. Abraham, who's the greater? Abraham or his descendants? And the writer is saying Abraham's greater than his descendants. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, there was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was named Levi, and out of Levi comes the priesthood. Who was greater? Levi and the priests that come out of his family, or Abraham? Well, Abraham's greater. Well, what does Abraham do? He honors Melchizedek because he's, Abraham recognizes that Melchizedek is greater than he. Okay, so just bear with me. Um, next, giving 10% was the faith promise of Jacob. So we're going back early in the history of Israel. So this is the grandson of Abraham, and the law does not exist yet. Moses has not been born yet. The 613 commands in the law have not been given. Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 and 22 then Jacob made a vow. So this is a faith promise. If Jacob is a kind of a negotiator, if you remember much about Jacob, he kind of he likes to manipulate, control things whenever he can, and so he's kind of trying to control this environment with an if. If God will, will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, God, I will give you a tent. So God took care of him the rest of his days, and he got food and clothing, and God blessed his socks off with the family. Okay? You want to test God? Just like Jacob, just go right ahead and do that. Um, secondly, consider the instructions for giving in the Old Testament law. So now we're going to go to 1446 to 1400 BC. Consider the instructions in the Old Testament law. Uh, first, giving 10% was commanded by God to support those in full-time ministry. So those in full-time ministry were Levitical priests. They came from the family of Levi, and they had to be qualified, and they could become priests, and they served either in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which was that movable worship site all over, or after the uh, temple was built under Solomon's reign, they became full-time custodians, 
Um, they did sacrifice. They had to be doctors, and they had to treat illness. They were full-time, okay? Um, giving 10% was commanded by God to support those in full-time ministry. Numbers 18.21. God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for their work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Not all Levites served at the tent of meeting. Not all Levites were priests, okay? Priests came out of this family and only this family. But for those in full-time ministry, God said he wanted his people to set aside a tent for their support. Next, giving a second 10% each year was required to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. So the Old Testament saints have already set aside 10% for God's full-time ministers. And now it's a different tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23, Scripture says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. So in the first in the Old Testament, it would have been in the presence of God residing at the tabernacle when it was set up in their camping ministry or their wilderness ministry. And then later in the nation, Israel. And finally, it will be the temple in Jerusalem where they were to go to celebrate this. And there was another provision if they couldn't get there on how they could do this. But they were to set aside a tent, and it was for one purpose. It couldn't be used for something else. It wasn't 4% or 7%. It was 10. So they might as well party, because that's what God intended. He wanted them to celebrate. It was kind of a vacation, but it was, had a spiritual purpose only. Yes, they were to celebrate. They were to take their best food, their best wine, and they were to thank God for how rich he had been toward them. They were to honor him. They were to remember that all that they have came from him. 10% was for that, and it was to be used up. It, it wasn't to be pocketed, okay? Next, giving another 10% every third year was required to meet the needs of the under-resourced. 10% more every three years, not every year, but on the third year, another tithe for the under-resourced. Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance. So we've already covered the priests, but this is not the priesthood. This is the rest of the family of the Levites. And what they did is they were support personnel. They were farmers. They, they lived in different areas in the country, and they raised animals and they raised food to support all of um, the, the priesthood. Um, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, meaning people from outside of Israel, 
And they often, they might be homeless people. Uh, they wouldn't be people who could own land. Um, the fatherless and the widows, widows and orphans who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless who? You. In all the work of your hands. Next, not giving what was required was considered robbing God. Now, we've talked about this already. Um, it's worth reminding us again, Malachi chapter 3. God says, this is the book of Malachi. This is about 400 years, 350 to 400 years before the birth of Christ. Will a mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask... How are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes, plural, and offerings. Now the tithes were commanded, the offerings were above and beyond the tithes. They were free will offerings. And he says, you are under a curse, the whole nation. And using the word the whole nation is kind of a negative because he didn't call them the nation. The nations were those who were not God's chosen people. But here he's calling them, he's using the word nation to describe them. Um, because you are robbing me. And then he says, how do, how, how, do we, how do we change? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So this would have been in Jerusalem, that there may be food in my house. He says, not 6%, not 8%. He said, I want all 10. Test me in this. And this is the only time that you and I are given the opportunity to test God as an invitation from him. And he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So this is under the law of the Old Testament. We aren't under that law anymore. My question for us is, is it possible that we could rob God? We don't have a storehouse in Jerusalem. The, the difference is today we have, a, we have church, and that's the central place where... Uh, Giving takes place. At least that was the design of the New Testament. Okay. Thirdly, consider Jesus' instructions about giving. So we've looked at the, the early history of God's people. We've looked at the law and what was said about giving. Now what, let's look at what Jesus had to say about giving. Um, Jesus viewed giving 10% as an appropriate expectation. Um, Matthew 23, 23, he's talking to the religious leaders of Israel, and there was no love lost here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Now, we know that the religious leaders, you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, 
They focused on their religi religiosity. They focused on looking good. And so when they gave their tenth, it was public. They, they gave to impress people. And Jesus said, you missed something more important. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Notice what he says. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness faithfulness without neglecting the former. Next, Jesus assumed that we would give to the under-resourced. He just assumed we would do this. We've seen this before, but here in Matthew 6, again, verses 2 through 4, so when you give to the needy, when you give, it's not if you give, it's when. When you give to the poor, do not announce it with trumpets, because that's what the religious leaders did. They got attention. It was public. It was noticeable. And Jesus' point is, here is to give humbly, quietly. Don't make a big deal about this. He says, um, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Their reward's going to be, hey, those people heard you clank. Those people heard your money drop. That's it. That's the notice you get because God isn't paying attention. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your gift, he's using a metaphor, by the way. So that your giving may be in secret. And again, the idea is humbly, not making a big deal of it. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do you think that's true? That God would reward people who humbly give to the under-resourced? Next, Jesus instructed us to give to grow our hearts. And we've seen this concept before, but we're just, let's just say it. He, he instructed us to give because he wants to grow our hearts. The uh, passage is Matthew 6, 20 and 21. So we've seen this a number of times. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because it's eternal where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, I want you to invest in eternal things. I want you to invest in in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because he knows a lot about us. He knows our hearts. He knows how attracted we are when we see the things of this world. He knows that we like comfort. He knows that we like upgrades. And, and then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what Jesus knows about us. He knows our hearts. And he knows that when we give, we become invested in things of God. And the more generous we give, the more our hearts grow. Next, Jesus challenged us to give and watch God provide. 
to give and watch God provide. And the passage is Luke 6.38. He says, this, this is Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. Now, the, the goal is not to give to get. You know, to somehow, I've got to come up with a way to get rich. It's not what this is about at all. But it, can you trust him? Give and it will be given you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. All that you need and more will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you're stingy with God, God will be stingy with you. If you're generous with God, his measure to you will be generous. It's not just about money. And consider the three P's model for giving. Now, we read about this in our book, uh, How to Be Rich. And if, by the way, if, for you who are not in growth groups, How to Be Rich is not about how to get rich. It assumes, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world. And I've said it before that if your income is 32000 500, you're in the top 1% of income in the world. We're rich when we compare ourselves with the world. When we start comparing ourselves with each other, we don't think we're rich. Um, I'm guessing that in this room, our living conditions are in the top 3% of the world. Um, so, that's why our focus has been on since we are rich, how then should we live? So the three Ps, the first one is the priority of giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And this was the model of the Old Testament, giving first fruits. That is, when your crops came in, you begin, you set aside right away giving to God. And even did that before you completed your harvest. And maybe at the end you know exactly how much you need to set aside, but it was the first and it was the best set aside for God. And it was, it was an act of faith to do that. And it's really about what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your money. It's about priority. Uh, the next one is percentage giving. The Old Testament had a percentage. It was called tithing. And if you want to get really strict, it was more than 10%, okay? However you want to look at it, it was more than 10%. Well, what does the New Testament say? Because nowhere in the New Testament is it explicit or repeat the commands of the Old Testament. We say we're under grace. We're not under the law, and that is absolutely true. What is greater, grace or the law? Grace is much greater than the law. It overshadows the law. It did away with the law. So now we can give less, right? That's totally the implication that the American church has taken. Let's talk about percentage. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So that's why giving got started on Sundays at the worship service as a public gathering of the church. And that's the primary place for our giving. Not one, uh, one option out of many. It's the primary. Uh, God's people were to care for all those people around them by their generosity. And it, it attracted people to God. And it showed how awesome God was and that he was creator and provider. And I think the same is still true for the church, by the way. That God wants to use his church, who is the bride of Christ. Not, this, we are not a parachurch. Parachurches are great. They help the church. But God designed the church, but there's so much confusion about, we don't like church. Churches doesn't do things the way I want them to. Okay, back to first day of every week. Each. Is there anyone here that's exempt from that? Each of you, your Christ followers, set aside a sum of money. What's a sum of money? It's an amount. In keeping with your income. How much is your income? Determine a sum to set aside. That's a piece of the pie. It is a percentage of your giving, of your money, of your income. And you don't have to report it to anybody else. It's your decision, what you set aside, what sum you choose. But it is a choice and it is a percentage. I encourage you to do your own math so that you will know, okay? And not only uh, the three, first pre is priority, the second is uh, percentage, and the third one is progressive giving. And Andy talked about this in chapter four or five. Progressive giving. And the idea of progressive giving is to evaluate your own situation, not my situation or your neighbor's, evaluate your own, look at your percentage, you know what it is, and then come up with a plan, how could I increase this? What if it's a tenth percent? Or what if it's a quarter percent? Or what if it's a whole percent? Come up with a plan, think about this. Progressive. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That is just loaded. This is the, there's a metaphor going, a farming method, uh, metaphor here about sowing crops. Um, if you had corn, corn, uh, Seed corn was cash because that's what you put in the ground so that you could grow your next crop, okay? Who supplies that, by the way? God. Who supplies our resources? God. I don't have to pay my bills in corn. But God is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Will also supply and increase your store of seed. He will increase and supply. He's going to 
supply for the future. And generosity is very much a part of that. I don't recommend you do what, what uh, Jacob did. If God will do this, and if God will do this, he will be my God. I, I step out in faith. But go ahead and test God if you want. Now, he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God wants to grow your heart. And as you are generous, he's going to supply resources for you, and he's going to grow your heart, and you're going to be more like Jesus because of righteousness. You're going to become more mature as a Christ follower, and money has a whole lot to do with it. You will be enriched in every way. Would you like that? See, it's not just about money. Money doesn't make people happy. There's all kinds of proof. We often don't think, well, I just like a little bit more, you know. But that's not going to be the answer. You will be enriched in every way. Well, how do you want to be enriched? You know, having a great life is more about right here. About me being content. About me being satisfied with God and how he provides for me. And yes, life is hard. Jesus told us it would be. And there'd be plenty of problems. And it's not just about having your problems removed or your circumstances made better. Okay, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God wants to enrich you so that you will be generous and you'll have more opportunities to be generous. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And Paul's saying, as you're generous, this is going to support the work of God and more people are going to come to faith in Christ and there are going to be more people who are thankful. And by the way, thanksgiving is an act of worship. There are going to be more true worshipers because of generosity. Last passage is 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, Paul writes to the Corinthians in faith and speech and knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. That sounds like increasing your percentage. Excel in the grace of giving. It is a grace... Because God supplies everything for us. And we've received grace. And we've received eternal things. And so part of the Christian life is learning to excel in the grace of giving. Christian Smith and Michael Emerson writes these words. He says... They say, reasonably generous and financial giving of ordinary American Christians would generate staggering amounts of money that could literally change the world. What if everyone at the bridge became tithers? It's my prayer that God will use his church 
so that we can have an impact. Not just the bridge, but the churches in Eau Claire. What kind of, you know, we have a responsibility here. Yes, to world missions. What could we do here as generosity increases? How many more people could we reach? And God wants us to be generous and he wants to supply so we can continue to be generous and have an impact for Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your instruction. Thank you for your generosity toward us. Thank you for how you're growing our hearts to become more generous people. God, may you work in us. May you help each of us reflect about our own responsibility. May we not compare ourselves with each other. May we stand before you. May we seek your wisdom. And may your Holy Spirit empower us to be faithful and to become more and more generous for the sake of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.